Hi, I'm Arlen Walker, and I'm live from Pelham's Wasteland, and today I'm going to talk about a couple of the games that I have been reading recently, um, and my kind of ideas and plans for using them and all of that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, if you want to hear about that, stay tuned, and uh, we'll, we'll get into some game discussion. So there are a couple of different games that I have been looking at recently, and I thought I would just talk about some of them. Um, one of them is Deluxe Revised Recon. Recon, which is put out by Palladium Games, um, but it's a Vietnam-era game, by which I mean you you play as soldiers in Vietnam, Um which looks pretty interesting. A um, Somebody recommended it on the RPG subreddit, and I went looking and found out, hey, I had already gotten it. So for some reason, I must have been recommended it before. But um, it, yeah, I think, I think it would be interesting to play. It might also be the sort of thing that you just mine for mechanics and ideas. Um, but that's just... Uh, one of the one of the things that I've been reading, I've also been reading at kind of the other end of the spectrum, the Blue Rose RPG, the the new one that's the age fantasy system. Green Ronin does their um, age system that's three d six instead of one d twenty for task resolution, um, and uh, Blue Rose is the second version of. This this blue, this version of Blue Rose is the second version. There was originally one that used the the third edition OGL um, license, um, although it was modified a fair bit from the actual kind of third edition stuff. Um, anyway, Blue Rose is really interesting because it is um, designed to play out romantic fantasy, as they put it, and it's all fantasy inspired by a kind of later generation and also largely female authors. And there's a lot of stuff about like um, LGBTQ representation in the world. And there's, you know, it's a very kind of um, optimistic sort of world. It's, it's um, if you like your fantasy kind of, Star Trekky optimistic. I think you might really like it. Um, but there's stuff like there's this idea that there's just kind of in in the main setting, Aldis, the the kind of world city, the kind of main city um, of the main kingdom. There's just like basically universal healthcare in this fantasy way, and there's you know not famine because they work together to you know, grow the crops well and all that sort of stuff. And there's a lot of, a lot of stuff. It's kind of this, like, you know, it's a different sort of fantasy. And I think that's interesting. It's, it's interesting to read partly because it has some of these very different assumptions. Um, what else have I been reading? I was also reading, excuse me, Age of Shadow, which Age of Shadow is based on the OpenQuest engine. OpenQuest, which is a sort of derivative of 
the the basic role playing system, Chaosium's uh, percentile based basic role playing. Open Quest is sort of a derivative of that, but is designed to have much broader skills and use much less fiddly modifiers and all that sort of stuff, and therefore be much kind of faster playing and all of that sort of stuff. And Age of Shadow basically takes those mechanics and puts it into this fantasy world that is really heavily designed to fit um, more kind of Tolkien-like sensibilities, um, which is pretty interesting. It was recommended in a discussion about Tolkien-flavored RPGs. Um, And obviously, I I like Tolkien a lot. And... um, the One Ring is is a personal favorite of mine, but I thought it would be interesting to see kind of what this Age of Shadow thing is like. I kind of just kind of the cursory going over it that I saw, I, I sort of feel like the rules don't go far enough in... I really like systems that do one thing really well or that are purpose built. Um, And so that's one of the things I really like about the one ring is the one ring is really built for playing in Tolkien's world and with those sensibilities and all that sort of stuff. Um, Age of shadow, I feel like doesn't kind of go far enough. So like there's a perform skill instead of calling it like singing or song the way it is in the one ring or, um, Deception, which I might split into like both sneak and riddle, um, to to split off that so that it's kind of two different skills um, to represent the difference between kind of talky talky deception and sneaky deception. Um, but anyway, it looks pretty cool, and um, it's only held back like a lot of these RPGs, among other things, by the fact that it doesn't have a roll twenty sheet which um, I, as you may know, mostly play online. And so not having a Roll20 sheet is not the end of the world, but it kind of sucks when a game doesn't have a Roll20 sheet. Um, Anyway, Age of Shadow, Recon, Blue Rose, all pretty interesting. I also looked at um, Swords Edge Publishing has a couple of RPGs out. And many of them seem to use a similar um, system that is kind of kind of like the Marvel heroic role-playing system, where what you do is you roll a collection of dice and you have um, a certain one or a couple of dice that are used as your like degree of as your your um, success failure decision, and then you use the die size of a remaining die to determine the the uh, level of effect. Um, but that's pretty cool. I kind of like the idea. I I I think I need to actually play Marvel heroic role playing to sort of wrap my head around it. But it it seems. Um, kind of complicated there's a lot of stuff reading through it that i think is really cool but it just seems a little bit like i don't know um not quite i don't know by comparison to something like mutants and masterminds that i like rocked it immediately 
that Marvel heroic role playing, I think would be really cool, but it would not, um, I, I guess I, I think I need to play that game before I make a judgment call on it because I don't kind of immediately understand how it all works, but that's okay. Anyway, and maybe this, this other games, these other games from, uh, swords edge sword. Yeah. Swords edge. Um, Head Crushers and Sword Noir are the ones that I have open right now. Um, I think Sword Noir does a different uh, resolution mechanic that it's 2d10 plus modifiers instead. But um, Head Crushers is definitely designed for this kind of fast playing, roll a big pool of die and pick out the things and then you know tell the story of how this result happened basically. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, it's pretty cool stuff. Um, I'm going to pause recording here and then talk about the two ones that I have gotten the most into, and that's Codex Martialis and Green Ronin's True 20. So I mentioned there were two games that I've been thinking a lot about, and one of them is called Codex Martialis. And Codex Martialis is this really interesting supplement for third 3.5 Pathfinder, that whole era of OGL games. Um, it is designed to use the core... D20 to hit mechanics while having and hit points and all of that sort of stuff in order to um, create a combat system, a especially a melee combat system excuse me, that is more reflective of realistic melee combat. And so there are a couple of ways that it does this, and it, it's interesting. Um, the big thing that it does is it gives your gives each character a pool of d20s to use based on their base attack bonus. It's equal to their base attack bonus with a maximum of four d20s total, um, and these can be used to do all of the different things that you might want to do in combat. Um, so they, it's sort of like action points or actions in um, Pathfinder 2 or something like that. I, you know, Pathfinder 2 has this three-action economy. Um, similar concept, except you get more actions by being better at fighting. Um, and then the idea is you can use these dice in different ways. So one thing you could do is you could, if you had four, four D20s, you can make four individual attacks in one round. You could also make two individual attacks rolling essentially with advantage. Roll two D20 and take the best one of those two. You could also hypothetically make one attack rolling a 4d20 have really good odds for hitting. But then there's some other stuff you can do. And this is where it gets really, I think, really interesting. So, for instance, there is an active defense mode. An active defense is you roll 
one of your D20s and add some defensive modifiers to get your essentially your AC. It's actually really more like a difficulty class to hit because armor doesn't provide AC anymore. Armor actually provides damage reduction. Um, and damage, it gets very crunchy. Um, damage reduction is differentiated based on the type of attack, the, the way the weapon is being used. So, for instance, slashing weapons are really deadly against unarmored opponents, but uh, are not very effective against armor, versus piercing is generally more effective against armor. Um, but the the sort of core of the system is built around this idea of an action economy built around D20s. Um, and then there's all of these kind of additions to it. Um, but one of the things that I really like about this is the idea of armor. Um, well, not, not armor, but one of the things that, that goes into it is that there is a, a, passive defense and an active defense, but specifically the active defense takes advantage of things like your base attack bonus. And so there's a real sense that, um, that a character who is familiar with their weapons, essentially the idea, one of the things that bothers me about AC is that it, doesn't really reflect the idea of skill with a weapon being not just aggressive, but also defensive. Um, I think AC works well when you're talking about a, for instance, in a, in a large battle where you can't just be like dueling back and forth right or with weapons that you're not going to be very good at um parrying and repost and all of that sort of stuff ac works well for that but ac as a concept doesn't really allow for something like the idea of loincloth barbarian who is very good at fighting and therefore doesn't get hit very much right that's that I see as sort of a problem because that's a a common thing within the um, the sort of fiction that I want to emulate. The kind of stories that I want to tell include sword masters, basically characters who are really good at defending themselves with a sword, in addition to being good at attacking with a sword, and who therefore don't get hit very much, essentially. Um, I guess what I'm getting at is the idea of um, D20, a lot of the standard D20 combat doesn't model this idea that in the process of getting better at hitting things with the sword, you also get better at preventing yourself from getting hit using that same sword and that it's all part of the same action, right? It's, you know, a parry and repost is, is like a single action. I get, anyway, that's all kind of my 
issues and annoyances with a lot of standard D20 combat. And there's some combat systems that I think work well at um, changing that. So, for instance, one of the reasons that I like the Pendragon combat system is that in Pendragon, there is an advantage to succeeding at the role that you make that is part of an opposed role you essentially succeed at your role versus the target number, but fail at the opposed role. There's an advantage in at least succeeding at your role because that represents you having your shield up effectively as you make your strikes. So that even if you aren't the one who actually connects with the hit, you still have your shield up. And so you get to add your shields bonus. And so there's a sense that like, yes, a swordsman who is more effective will, um, not just hit more often, but will have an armor bonus, essentially, because you're expected to fight with a sword and shield, because this is not a fantasy game. The the two-weapon fighting thing is is treated as like, well, that's fucking silly. Um, sorry, I, pr- I probably shouldn't. I, I'm trying to avoid swearing on the podcast, at least a little bit. Um, but anyway... What I'm getting at is that some, a lot of the kind of standard D&D combat with armor class doesn't include any option for, oh, your character is more skilled and therefore your base armor class, your, your ability to defend yourself comes into play. Codex Martialis, one of the things that I really like about this is that it does exactly that, is it says like, no, armor doesn't make it harder for you to get hit normally. What it does is it makes it harder to get an effective hit on you, which is sort of what AC is supposed to model, except that then Codex Martialis says, and then in addition to armor having an effect, you also, armor having an effect by reducing damage, you also have your own ability to use one of your D20s as an active defense role or to trust in the passive defense of your ability to kind of keep your sword in between you and them. Basically meaning that your um, skill with a weapon represented by an attack bonus right, a level-based attack bonus has an effect on how often your character will get hit. And I think that's really cool. Um, There's some other really cool stuff. I actually really like the idea of pooled D20s representing your actions for the turn. And so, for instance, you get one free move action, but if you want to take multiple standard actions, you can spend those d20s from that you get based on your base attack bonus to do extra actions so for instance if you had three dice you could do one move and then spin one of them to do a second move that's really cool that's right and i like that it's variable makes it much harder to balance but i like the idea that your character as you get better has more dice to spend. So I'm thinking about how do I use this? Because I don't really play Pathfinder. I don't really play third edition OGL games very much. So part of that is I'm, I'm putting out a question to my listeners. Um, 
limited as they are. Do you know any like complete third edition OGL games aside from Pathfinder and D&D 3.5 that would be like still around and available and easy to use and that are like one complete game in one book instead of all over the place? I don't know. One of the options for that, though, is the next game that I'm going to talk about. So I'm going to pause the recording here and then come back and talk about Green Ronin's True 20 system. So one of the games that I've been looking at that I originally was thinking it might be cool to use with Codex Martialis, and then I'm not entirely sure how I would adapt it, but um, it's sort of there as an available thing, is... Green Ronin's True 20 system, which I mentioned Blue Rose earlier. The Blue Rose now uses the age system, which is 3d6. One of the d6s is special, and it's called a stunt die or something. And anyway, um, it's still the same concept of roll plus modifiers versus difficulty class. Um, but True 20 is kind of built on the modified version of the D&D 3 OGL um, game that Blue Rose was sort of the first pass at it, and then True 20 is the kind of generic system. I actually like it quite a bit because it has a number of the things that I like from Mutants and Masterminds. That there's a lot of a lot of the things that I like about mutants and masterminds are in here. So, for instance, there's a toughness save, no hit points. There's a toughness save after getting hit, and you basically do your best to roll with the punches, essentially. So that's pretty cool. I like that. Um, there's also varying DCs to hit. The, the dodge versus parry DCs. I like that in Mutants and Masterminds that you can be easy to hit at range and hard to hit in melee or hard to hit at range and easy to hit in melee based on how the character is actually built. Um, that's pretty cool. There's also things like, for instance, um, I mentioned the toughness thing. I mentioned variable to hit there's also all of the a lot of the standard stuff you'd expect with a, a 3.0 or a 3.5 or whatever it is actually technically based on system so there's lots of feats there's all sorts of um skills there's basically three different classes. There's the adept, who's your kind of magic user, spellcaster power. There's the expert, who is your skill monkey abilities type. And then there's the warrior, who's good at fighting. Um, and then there are also some pretty cool extra rules for how to convert, um, how to build your own roles, your own classes, essentially, in the revised version of True 20 that um, basically say, like, okay, well, based on your attack bonus and access to feats and saves and all that sort of stuff, here's how you should sort of put it all together in um, with point 
costs. And so the point costs are designed to reflect um, how much, you know, how, how, uh, how much each different class feature costs and therefore what, um, what they should have access to based on the um, thing. There's some other, so like for instance, uh, there's no derived attributes. It's just flat bonuses. So essentially instead of having like strength 18 and that's equivalent to plus four, you just have strength plus four. So that that's cool. Anyway, true 20. Um, there's some other, I like that the, I kind of, it feels a little silly that it requires a feat to do it, but I like the things like defensive attack and power attack and all that sort of stuff that allow you to adjust your attack and defense situationally. I kind of feel like those ought to be just like warrior abilities than as opposed to feats. So I might, if I use true 20, I might do that. As opposed to in um, Mutants and Masterminds, especially 3rd edition, because you have so many points available, it seems like it's pretty easy to say, okay, well, those are just advantages and they cost one point to be able to do them. That kind of slight cost for flexibility is not too bad. Um, but yeah, I, I think True 20 is pretty cool. It is a level-based system, but because there's no hit points and there's no hit die you get a little bit tougher and you certainly get more dangerous as your character levels up, but it's a lot more, you get more flexible and you get a character who is um, more designed than you get just direct power up. And I like that with level-based systems. Um, I often think levels are kind of a similar to HP, similar to armor class are sort of, I feel like in a lot of games, uh, Un, not unfortunate, but a sort of a devil's bargain, an abstraction that is, I can see why it's useful in play, but it annoys me sometimes. And in particular, the idea that you get much more powerful as the levels go up. I like the idea that you, at, at level 12, for instance, if we're thinking kind of realistically, are you that much more powerful than you were at level two or are you more flexible than you were at level two and more skilled? So that, that kind of ties into one of the things that I like about this system is that basically it's, you know, Yes, you are more flexible. You are more skilled. You do have more feats, but your toughness save probably isn't that much better. Um, you're not that much tougher at level 12 than you were at level 2. Probably a little bit tougher. Maybe you've taken a rank in toughness or defensive role or one of the various things to improve toughness, but not that much more. And I really like that. I like that... Um, kind of that sort of shape to character growth. I think that's really cool. Anyway, so I only have, I have the core book in the bestiary for true 20. I need to get the three more books 
each of the roles has a book that has more options, more feats and stuff for that role. And so I need to get those to kind of fill out the collection. But then I also have, I got on drive-thru a um, book that is called like Legends of Excalibur or something. It's Arthurian role-playing with True 20. And that's kind of cool. I kind of like it. Um, I don't know if I would ever use it because Pendragon is so good. Um, but Pendragon is really kind of built for a long-term campaign. And True 20 uses a number of mechanics that I think my players would already be familiar with. So there's a temptation to just say, okay, well, I'll use this True 20 system. And uh, thereby use mechanics that a people are more familiar with because it's uh role plus modifier versus difficulty class instead of rolling under a specific target number based on your skill level on the sheet um and i could do a pretty straightforward almost like a shadow of the demon lord type thing i think that's what i would do with true 20 is say like well one adventure equals or one one full not one session, but one full adventure that could be one session, could be three or four sessions, but one full kind of arc equals one level. And say, okay, you finish that adventure, now you level up, you're a little bit more flexible because you have another feat choice, you are a little bit tougher, and um, yeah, that that's probably what I would do with it. So, True 20 looks pretty cool. It's too bad that it is out of print. It's also too bad. Apparently, Green Ronin has kind of switched over to Fantasy Age and Modern Age. And those games have mixed opinions. Um, I can understand why, but I kind of like... I like the things that they have going on in True 20. And I like the things they have going on in Mutants and Masterminds. That's the other... The other thing that I'm thinking about is I'm thinking about how to tweak Mutants and Masterminds to get it exactly where I want it, and particularly for a long campaign. Um, and I'm thinking one of my ideas, rules as written, what you do is you give out hero points, or, or not hero points, but you give out essentially points towards building a character every session. That's your XP and then every time you hit an increment of 15, you go up a power level. And the power level defines things like how hard you can hit versus how accurate. There's rules based on the power level of where you can put your points and all that sort of stuff. So one of my ideas was, well, why not have the characters build, build supers, build PCs, at a certain power level, probably power level 10 as kind of starter characters, maybe power level eight to be a little bit weaker, a little bit softer, but I feel like that's a little bit kind of too much shift. I feel like power level 10, they're definitively superheroes by that point. And then just say from now on, we go up a power level every 25 or 30 points so that characters have to branch out more so that you, what you get are PCs that reach those same power levels eventually, but they do it slower 
and they end up being more uh, flexibly built. They're more, you know, they have more total points per power level. And so they have more likely to invest in skills and not just invest in combat, things like that. More likely to pick up advantages that sound cool and not just invest in combat. Um, anyway, so that's kind of one of my ideas. And, and particularly because that's sort of how a lot of the NPCs are built is that they'll, if you look at how a number of the the like super villains are built they're built with something like power level 11 200 points 200 points technically should get them a much higher power level than power level 11 but they're built that way so that they can um, have lots of advantages and have lots of flexibility without being that much more kind of raw powerful than the pcs so I like that idea. I think that would be a fun way to um, to tinker with the system a little bit. 25 or 30 points to go up a power level so that you put more points into skills, more into advantages, more fleshed out characters. Start them at 10 and go up to like 14 maximum and just embrace the idea that you're playing a game where the characters will go on to face bigger and bigger threats. Um, that's one of the things my buddy Kevin Madison talks about. He doesn't like about um, mutants and masterminds is that you can't do playing the teen Titans forever um, rules as written. Although I actually think, I think if you wanted to, you could just say, here's a flat power level cap on the campaign and you get more points, but you don't get very many more points and you get rewards other ways like faction rules. I actually think that would be really another way to tinker with the system is to say like, okay, you have like reputation with different organizations and all of that sort of stuff. And, um, that that gets you special bonuses or special things or, you know, anyway, that's just my ideas. So yeah, true 20 mutes and masterminds both seem like pretty cool games. Um, I'm, I'm excited to get at least one of them to the table at some point. I think that would be fun. So yeah, that's the episode. That's the whole thing. That's the games that I have been reading and thinking about and kind of the ones that have been sort of floating around in my head. So yeah, hope you enjoyed. If you want to get in contact with me, I am at Cows from Powis on Twitter, as well as obviously here on Anchor, anchor.fm slash Pelham's Wasteland, you can leave a voice message. And um, yeah, I've been Arlen Walker. I've been live from Pelham's Wasteland, and I will see you next time. Take care, everybody.